welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. For everyone that doesn't know this, this show, this is Sunday Night Teacher Talk, and the idea here is to help folks out with what they're going, they have going on coming into this week in the in the classroom, or with their own kids, or with college, or whatever you know. You, maybe you're a student, you're going into college. Um, so we are we're really we're used to unreliable internet in Australia. Um, so here's how this works. I am merely the talking head on here. I'm giving advice. I'm trying to help folks out where I can. But all of you that are watching are also helping people out in the comments section. So. If, you know, I don't always know the answer. I don't teach math. I teach high school literature and I have like things that I know about, but then it really, really um, is about like what kind of stuff can you share with these folks that are asking questions as well. I also, we're at the point now where like I can't get to every single question. I really, really try. But last week my wife said there was probably about 45 minutes worth of questions more on there after we did an hour and a half live feed. So I just don't have um, that type of time because all of a sudden my son's into football. I, I never watched football in my whole life. This is uh, American football too. And so uh, we are watching football every Sunday, even though I don't know what's going on. I have to keep Googling things, but I want to be a good dad and I want to earn that father of the year thing. I don't want them to just give me the card. We know that I earned it. I see your shoulder in there. <gasps> Babe, you're almost on the internet. I saw your eyeball in your cheek. Stop. Um, are you trying to look for that yeah. to make the questions come up? All right, so before I jump into your questions and I talk, I want to talk real quick about um, where I was this week because it was really rad and I think people would benefit from it. Um, let's make sure we can use that. Uh, I'm going to answer a question from Teachers Connect. Teachers Connect is an online platform, right? I've talked about this before. Online platform looks like this. And you go on, that's a... They don't have like a mobile app yet. They're working on it. But their website, you just go on and you like answer questions or you get answers for your questions or you can post stuff on there that you think teachers would like. Would like. Um, and so sometimes I post my YouTube videos on there. Sometimes I answer questions and all that stuff. So it's just a nice place for just educators to go. So the question this week is a little bit long, but I'm going to go with it anyway. This is Ashley. Uh, just Ashley. I'm trying not to use people's full names because I don't know if they're into that. How do you incorporate vocabulary instruction at the high school level? I am a first year teacher in a Title I district teaching special ed English for grades 10, 11, and 12. The majority of my students are below a fifth grade reading level. We're using the Springboard Close Reading Workshop for our reading instruction and supplement it with novels throughout the year. And I've heard some recommendations for making it more accessible for kids is front-loading vocabulary. The texts, the texts, texts. Um, inside the curriculum highlight or underline vocabulary words and the students are supposed to figure out uh, so I think we get it. but what I'm really wanting for is like is front load vocabulary effective uh, so here's the thing I think I am reworking my entire vocabulary unit this year right I'm trying to figure out like what is what's the best way that is gonna actually help kids to remember vocabulary and make it meaningful so it's not like this um it's not like this sort of like rote memorization where you're just like given a whole bunch of words expected to remember them when really you can just look crap up on your phone but even looking it up on your phone is it i think when you really get to know a word 
you start to use it in a way that is sort of like honest to who you are, right? It's like, uh, it comes out easier, easier, easier. And it does, it's not something that's forced and says something like, you know, we've all had those papers in college where you look up on the online thesaurus and try and figure out like a way to use a word. And then you sound ridiculous because everybody knows that you don't use that word ever. So what I do is, um, for me this year, it's, I still do words on the board. I know a lot of people aren't into this, but like I still do my words on the board and I have my guys create flashcards. Cause what I want to do is create a way for students to, um, to hold on. This is very distracting. Um, I keep seeing myself like, oh. <laughs> like 10 seconds after myself on the other screen. So the students, um, I want to give them a number of different ways to study. So we start with word on one side, definition on the other. I have pictures up on the board and I usually relate a small story or um, example that's usually, I try and make it funny so that it's like something interesting for us to, to be a part of. Then I started using that Frere model that somebody sent me this year and I got a bunch of interesting ideas. That's like when you like section the thing, off, the paper off into fours and then I changed it a little bit to like, you have to rewrite the definition. You have to use the word in a sentence. You have to draw a picture of it or something or give like an example of like, um, if you don't really want to draw or if you can't clearly convey in a drawing what it is, you can just kind of explain what your drawing would look like. And then I, for the fourth one I have, uh, how would you explain this to a friend? So if your homie was like, yo, what does vicarious mean? Or like, what does volition mean? Um, you would say it pretty much means this. That's what I want them to use. So that's kind of what we're, we're doing with it. And then um, during the week, I do everything from like explain it using slang. I explain it using pictures on the board and you have to like pick which picture. So there's a lot kind of going on there. But for me, that's been the best way. And then I have a, new words every Monday, um, get five words on Monday, test on Friday. The next week you get five new words and you get the old words. And then that test is on that Friday and then we reset and we keep doing that again and again. So, um, and then I always do, you can retake tests. Every, almost every single test in my class, you can retake. So if we take a test on Friday, you have until Tuesday afternoon to retake it um, for whatever reason. And that's the only makeup work that I do. I don't do any makeup work. I don't do any extra credit. Um, do we need another charger? Buddy? I think you should probably put that in. Oh, snap. All right, and let's make sure that doesn't keep going. Ding. Ding. We are a crack operation. This is almost as good as when we did the live feed on the beach yeah. um, in my blanket house. Uh, yes, how's this? Oh my goodness gracious. There we go. All right, all right. Man. All right, let's jump into some questions because I want to get to a bunch of stuff. Um, you can tell Noah I'm going to swing around and pick her up. 15 minutes. Tell Noah 15 minutes. Oh man. Now we got people texting because I'm on the phone and it's like. The boys will probably come back and the dog's gonna bark. All right, so let's jump in the questions and help uh, as many people as we can. Uh, Zara J says, do you speak with your students about the subject of gender equality? And if so, how do you approach the subject? How is it received by your students? I do talk about this every single year. Um, we talk about a lot of, so when we do Lord of the Flies, we talk about toxic masculinity. And this year we're gonna read the book Speak, um, which is at a lower Lexile level. It's only like a sixth grade Lexile level. But, um, and I know not everyone's in the Lexile levels, but I just put it out there anyway. Sorry, full sharp. Um, but they, we talk about toxic masculinity. We talk about what it means to be a man. I teach all, uh, boys and a lot of my guys 
self-admittedly, right, this isn't just me making this stuff up, um, would say that they don't have a positive role model around. And that doesn't mean all my boys. Some of them come from very, very good families. But it's about sort of deconstructing what you think it is to be a man. And then what I do is have the conversation. I do not try to, like, as much as I can. I'm sure I do this intuitively some in some way. But, like, I don't try and push them towards, like, what I think a man is. But it's like, what do you think a man is? And then, like, is what's what's good or not good about this? Like, so what what do we need to talk about here? We talk about toxic masculinity and hip hop music. Um, and we talk about things like, why are there no like homosexual hip hop artists? And why don't women hip hop artists get the love that male hip hop artists get all the time? And so I do talk about that. And here's why this works. It's, it's really well uh, sort of accepted by them, this conversation because I'm not trying to school them, because I'm not trying to school them about the world or about what's right and what's wrong, I'm, I'm simply opening it up and making it a safe place for a conversation and then letting them come to their own ends and to their own answers. And with my sort of gentle nudging to just sort of push the conversation forward, uh, I think that that's a really interesting way to do that with your students because then they're not, you're not like trying to force some kind of lesson or some sort of ideology down their throat. And, you know, I think kids all want to do the right thing. And they're just like, not always sure what the right thing is. And especially boys, they're just like nervous to like, um, sort of like be vulnerable and talk about that stuff. So in a safe space, it really works. Uh, the more you grow is hanging. I have a question you may help with. I hope so. Uh, I struggle with learning people's names in all aspects, bro. That is my hundred percent jam. Um, I want to get better at this so I can call my students by their name uh, when I become a teacher. Any advice? So I have, so one, I don't learn most people's names and I just make up nicknames for everyone. Um, and let me tell you why this works for me. And I'm not, I have another suggestion too. So if this isn't your jam, it's fine. But for those of you that it does work with, I like, I like the personalization of that. I like calling kids weird stuff and even the weirdest names, right? Like business casual and DJ dirty Kev and Seafish uh, and Kent, who's not even Kent. His name is something else, but his brother's name was Kent. And I had his brother first, so I just called him Kent. Um, these kids, they end up loving the names. And then the kids that don't have names want names too. And it's like, I don't, why? Like, like his name's Frankenstein. He doesn't love that name, but they, you know, initially. But I, it's just a way for me to sort of remember names. I don't like mispronouncing students' names. I mispronounce names all the time. And if, and some, I think sometimes I just don't like have an ear for it. So that's kind of like how I, I side track that situation. Um, however, I have a seating chart and just by looking at the seating chart, the way if I have this in a video somewhere, but like the, as I'm looking out, that's how I'm seeing all the students that are there. So like the kids are in the front of my seating chart, um, are in the front of the room. And then <clears throat> as the year goes on, just looking down and looking at a kid and you and you will learn them and you'll get them i mean it might take you a month but like just apologize and just call i just call guys homie or dude or bro or whatever and then that kind of helps with that situation what do you got buddy um uh, i know it's always the top I one know. you told me to stop asking <laughs> if it was the top I one. Did. Chantel Massey is saying, Hey Reynolds, I've been watching your videos for a while now. And I think that you're great. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, quick question. I'm about to teach my first lesson 
in my senior block of college and I'm really nervous. Any tips? So, I mean, oh gosh, I remember this. I had a video, I put a video up on Instagram of the first lesson I ever taught and I had to do it in college in front of other college students. I would say, you know, try and make it as relatable as possible without trying to be cool, right? And so that's that's a heavy weight, right? And you're young, so you still have the ability to be cool. I have not been cool since 1995. But I think um, trying to make, take some sort of complex topic or whatever you're working on and then connect it to something everyone already knows, right? So like we did a lesson, uh, Ed and I did a lesson the other day on like, um, the Odyssey as it compares to Fortnite, or you know, you could do like how certain music connects to vocabulary words and like how that like this song might explain this word or, or you heard it in that song before. So I think just trying to make things relatable as possible is how you're gonna win as a teacher anyway, because it's gonna be something that the students already know and you're you're connecting the dots from like this thing that they already know to this thing that they don't know, and then you're gonna bring those two things together and then they're gonna go. Oh, that wasn't so hard, and that's what you're really going for. And don't overcomplicate it. People try and make things way too complicated. One of the things we're working on that we want to start bringing to you all in videos is this thing, this concept that we came up with called bare bones teaching, which is like just making teaching not so complicated and difficult all the time. Shirley Martini, uh, is that your real name? That's, that's a fantastic. Great. That's a great name, isn't it? it sounds fun. Um, I teach three classes, one and EOC. So I have three preps. They are killing me. How can I give enough to those without the EOC, even with admin breathing down my neck? P.S. I'm a new teacher. So, gosh, I've had, so I, last year I taught ninth grade and 10th grade uh, English classes. So lit one and lit two. And then one of them, some of them were like regular ed classes and some of them uh, were co-taught classes. And oh, and I had an elective, my history of hip hop elective, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's still like, you still have to prep for it and get ready for it and all that stuff. I just think trying to sometimes make things. So sometimes my students live off the benefit of the work being a little bit easier than it would be otherwise. It's, it's just impossible sometimes when you have so many different kinds of kids in a class to make it even for everyone, right? Um, so, and, and I think, here, here's the trick, is that I can do this better now, but it's because I've been teaching for a long time, because I've changed my lessons so many times, I, can, I know now what like worked for the kids that struggled or worked for the kids that were having a little bit of a heart, or like were, were more capable of doing what I was asking without a whole bunch of extra help. So because of that, I can pull from all those different areas and implement things in a different way. If you're a new teacher, just give just be patient. The, the admin can breathe down your neck all they want because they are, I don't know, or maybe they're under some illusion that you're like a master teacher already, but just, you know, keep finessing it and keep moving, you know, the needle, whichever way it needs to go as the year goes on. And then here's the important thing, take notes what worked, what didn't work, what worked for like the kids that needed more help, the, what did not work for the kids that, you know, don't need as much help. Like when you're making all those notes, cause the year's going to blow by before you know what it's going to be June. And then it's going to be August and you're going to be like, Oh my God, what did I do in September? So just by making simple notes on your lesson plans on your unit plans or whatever, it's going to help you to remember those things. And that's how I would go into it. I would go into the year as if it were an experiment. 
no one's going to not learn, right? You're not going to let that happen. You're going to still teach them and they're still going to learn stuff, but it is an ongoing experiment. And I think teaching should always be an ongoing experiment. As I was hanging out with my friend, Kate, the sleepy teacher, um, this weekend, she was saying one of the reasons she started a YouTube channel was because she was felt like her teaching was getting a little dry and she wanted to be able to reflect and to kick it up another notch. And that forced her to do that. So just keep like, um, just keep moving that needle and practicing and experimenting and then taking notes that next year you're better and the next year you're better and the next year you're better. And that, that's how you'll work that out. Amir is saying, this is Amir Williams, he's a student of mine, um, a former student of mine that I still see all the time, saying, starting Tuesday, I'm going to be the Philadelphia reading coach for kids that are five through 12. What do you think are the best ways to, uh, to an engaging tutor? I want to be, uh, I want to go into this really strong. So I would say, first of all, if anyone out there, if anyone watching this, teaches kids that are from five to 12, because I gave, admittedly, right? I gave Imir advice this summer when he was teaching at a summer camp and it was not that good of advice. And then some other lady emailed me and she was like, hey, your advice wasn't so good. Here's better advice. And her advice was way better. So if someone out there can hit, you know, Imir up, like let them know, maybe you have an answer. But I would say more than anything, brother, like just um, being yourself and being willing to meet kids where they are, right? So a lot of times teachers have this idea of where they think kids should be. And then when they're not there, we get like all pissed off and we're like, you guys should know this already. Like, but I don't, so let's start there. And then that's it. And then just be like your fun, kind self. And I think you'll find that you'll really, really win when you're not like dogging kids or getting mad about stuff. I would say find out something about that child that you can connect on a personal level. That's what Brody's tutor did to him and it changed it, the whole dynamic. Okay, you realize everyone can hear you, right? Oh, I don't know how loud they can hear Yeah, you. so my wife is saying like, find out something about that kid. So Brody has a reading tutor this year and she started asking him about Stickbots and about Fortnite. Stickbots are these toys that they that my kids play with. And uh, it changed everything for Brody. Like that he went in like, talking with her about it and she was like watching videos about it on youtube so there was a point of connection there and i just think that, that always wins as well and they only spent about five minutes a day like yeah. it wasn't a, a big thing but just it made it fun for him that was a good answer mm -hmm. thanks you're so helpful um joanne markov i see that name all the time uh what are your ninth grade texts i know that you do odyssey of mice and men lord of the flies uh, is there, is that it or are there others? So I also do, depending on the class, depending on the year, Fahrenheit 451, Persepolis, which I don't do as much anymore because there's so much like other knowledge you have to have to read that book, like knowing who all these people are in history, knowing where all these events are in history, knowing a, a lot of stuff. Um, we do, what, what else do I do? I'm doing Speak this year and poetry. I do a lot of poetry, but I do poetry for kids that don't like poetry. So I don't do like any classic poetry except for like some E.E. E. Cummings stuff. Um, and this year we're gonna write children's books again using Storybird. And that is one because I did a paid partnership with them and they like hooked it up. And so I have access to that. And two, it's because I think it's a really good platform and it's a really good way to teach kids like plot development and how a basic story works and to revisit that in a fun way. And watching high school kids read children's books is just hilarious. So 
Rebecca is asking, any advice on how to encourage students to improve their mental and emotional well-being? Um, I think, gosh, I just think, first of all, just being patient, right? Being patient with kids and then not being, being willing to be vulnerable yourself, right? If you are not willing to be, to be vulnerable with your students, they're not chances are going to be vulnerable with you. And you don't have to tell them all of your stuff. You don't have to tell them about like every fight they ever with their boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that. But you know, if I have a student that has a parent that passed away, I make sure that I share that. If I have a student that has um, someone that you know that has learning difficulties or learning differences and that it's like really hard on their family, like maybe they have someone that has like um, autism or Asperger's and that's like a, that is something that they're, they're struggling to be a, a good brother or sister for or brother in my case in my school but uh i can share my own story with stuff like that and so i just think that that's the best way to kind of do it and then you're sort of leading by example and saying like look this is important you're reminding them of them and noting it and then this is how i kind of walked through that as well like and it takes a lot of courage and you're doing the right thing and just that constant re-encouragement and then not putting them on any kind of timetable, right? Like, you know this, some of us and some people in the world get things early on, right? Some people don't, they don't, and so you, and I'm not saying about me that like I get things faster than anyone else because chances are I don't, but you, um, you just wanna let that kid kind of work it out at their pace and if for the next four years you're working it out with them, then it takes the next four years or beyond, right? So just be patient with them. Stephen Herms is saying, can you come to Sydney? Yes, Stephen Herms, I can come to Sydney. Why don't you shoot me an email and we'll figure it out. Uh, my email is realwrap with the Reynolds because it's from the old channel uh, at gmail.com, by the way. And it's usually linked underneath all of my videos. Kimberly Wallback, I know that name too, is saying, what is the best way to support emotional and autistic support students? I think... Um, so here's one way that I've done it. And I, and I'm, I met this really, really lovely woman. I was in San Diego for the week and, uh, I was at a conference there where I spoke at, it was like a lot of different folks, but the, but primarily the folks that I was meeting were either in HR and they were hiring first year teachers and working with first year teachers, or they were in special education. And so I met this really lovely woman who works in special education, who has a son who has, who's autistic and she like lived in Australia and then had to like move here to like get her son the services that he needed. And then she was saying um, that, and so I'm not saying her name or anything. So if you happen to watch this, like I would never put you on blast because I don't, I don't know that you're interested in that. Um, she was saying though that her son has a hard time making friends and so that he doesn't have any friends. And I thought, you know, the hard part for me for that is I, if that kid went to my school, I would ensure that he had friends. And the way that I do that is, because I find kids all the time that have no friends, that are like sitting alone in the lunchroom behind the wrestling mats, behind the stage, in a corner somewhere, um, sitting in the bathroom the whole period, like just milling around outside the bathroom, pretending they're busy doing something, when in reality, they're not busy doing anything. And it's heartbreaking to me. So the way that I combat that is, all these years in, I have all these dudes that eat lunch with me every single day and I send them downstairs. They get sent on a mission to look for students that don't have anyone to sit with. And then they're not, they don't, they don't make them feel weird about it. They go, Hey, 
we're all eating up in Reynolds' room. Do you want to go up and eat with us? And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. Or they'll say, like, yo, man, if you don't want to sit down here, like, Reynolds' room is open. You can just, like, put your earbuds in, watch a show, like, read a book, work on your homework, whatever. Um, and so eventually, all those kids end up coming up and sitting in my room. And then my job is to, again, connect the dots. So I'll go over to that kid, and I'll just ask him something innocuous about himself. Like, hey, are you, do, I, do you play Fortnite? Um, do you watch, you know, did you watch, do you watch football? And then I, once I know something about them, I'll figure out who else likes that thing too. And then I'll go, oh, that's really dope. Cause my man, DJ dirty Kev is real into that game also. Or he really likes Martin Scorsese movies also. And then they, that naturally links them together. And my guys that know that have been around for a while, like Kev and Joe and Aki and all these dudes and Kyle, they all know that like, this is the jam. Like we are trying to pull these kids in so they have a place to be. And it's like my room becomes like the island of misfit toys. And so that is, that's how I bring everyone in. And, and Or I will have a student that's having a particularly hard time and is not making friends. And I will sign other dudes. I'll show them the picture of that kid. And I'll say, when you see them in the hall, all I want you to do is just say, yo, what's up, bro? Like, here's his name. Yo, what's up? That's it. And then just do that whenever you see them in the hallway. Nothing special. You're not treating them like they're a special case or anything like that. Yo, what's up, man? And that that takes kids from being invisible to being visible. And that makes all the difference sometimes. And so that's just one way that I like to support those like students that are feeling um, like they're like they're outliers is letting them know they belong because once a kid believes in themselves and believes that they belong everything else just gets easier from there because now you can actually work with them and connect with them i don't know the last one that you did because i was taking care of kids, oh so. okay sorry we're trying to make sure that we do these uh all but um you know not so secret wife had to not so secretly sneak away um and there goes the girls Kimberly Wallbeck, oh, that, that was the last one. Oh, okay. So, Storm P is saying, I'm trying to decide whether teaching elementary level or high school level, teaching what is your opinion on each of the professions as a career? So, um, I, I just think, so here's what I would do. It, it doesn't matter what I think. I mean, I, I could have, now that I, I love teaching high school, but I, I like it for a reason. I like having higher level conversations. I like the idea that 14 years old or so is like when you're trying to figure out your story, who you are, what you're about. Um, you are trying new stuff. You're getting mohawks and li listening to music that your parents hate. I like that world because I think you're trying to you're trying to figure out who you are as opposed to the person that your parents kind of like navigated you to be till this point. And that, and I. I, that's not to take anything away from parents. It's just like, you know, you want to rebel when you're at a certain age. That being said, I really think I could have taught younger kids and I would have absolutely loved it also. I think like fifth, fourth, fifth grade would have been the jam that was meant a lot to me. Like reading things like My Side of the Mountain and the projects that we did and who I was at that age is like that, that sort of work is attractive to me as well. Here's what I would do if I were you. For anyone that's trying to figure out what grade you should teach, hit up schools email teachers and say, hey, I go to this college, would you mind if, um, or I'm in high school and I wanna be a teacher, would you mind if I just came in and sat in your room for the day? And then just go sit in the room for the day and, and check it out. And so 
that will give you a sense of like whether or not you can see yourself being there and whether or not you can see yourself working with these students. And that's going to be, I think, what tells is like the, the piece for you. Slim here. Oh. Oh, all right. So now the dogs are going to bark because Jude has to come in and go to the bathroom. And I just, I don't know why I told everyone that, but I did. Yeah. Uh, next question. Joanne Markov is saying, what sort of technology do you have for your students? Laptops for everyone or just a few or none at all? So our school is one-to-one, -one, but only 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So in ninth grade is not one-to-one. -one. We have laptop cards. Here goes Jude. Hi, Jude. He's like one of the most adorable kids I've ever seen. So um, they, but so we have laptop carts and they sometimes work, they sometimes don't. If someone didn't plug it in, it's an issue. So I don't use them too much unless it's for a specific lesson that I let the rest of the teachers know like, hey, I need these for two weeks so we can work on this. Other than that, I got a Promethean board this year, which is really like, I, I thought I knew how to use it, but to be honest, their online content is not very good. Like their videos on how to use their product are not very good. Um, and I actually thought about like reaching out to them and saying like, hey, why don't we work together and I can use your, like I'll make videos for you so that people know what the heck they're using on this thing. Uh, Bliss Poetry is saying, I teach 10th grade English and my classes are mixed. Level four, there's a lot of running behind me going on today. Um, level four is a bit, it's like when you're trying to be sneaky but you're just not so sneaky uh, uh, my classes are mixed level fours how many people are in here it's like an army of kids and the level ones way down below grade level how do I uh, challenge the highest level but not lose the lower level students so in 10th grade English um, I, I, I think the way that you do that is, I, I, so here's a, two things I'm thinking of. One, I always use guided notes, right? I never have everyone write any, all of anything that's on the board. And kids that have a harder time doing that, I just give them the notes sometimes. So they have them both on their desk and they copy from this one to this one. So they don't have to keep looking up at the board, which is hard for some kids to have learning differences. Two, I think trying to get those kids independent reading books that are on their level. And so spending a couple of days a week even if it's one day a week where you have like an extended reading time that's quiet, let your students sit wherever they want in the room, let them read whatever book they want so long as it's closer to their level. So your lower level, level reading guys and girls, um, you would have like appropriate books for them. And then the other kids, an appropriate book for them. And then you could use stuff like, what's that thing that Colby Sharp uh, Accelerated Reader, you could take quizzes on there, you could have them do a project on there or something. No, 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 I'm saying Accelerated Reader though has, the thing I do like is they make comprehension questions for all the books and it's just a check for understanding so that students, you know that they read it and you know that they understood what was going on. The rest of Accelerated Reader I can't really get down with. Um, but that is just one way that you're able to do that so that at least a couple times a week kids are reading something that they're interested in and that is good for them. And the best way to become a better reader is just by becoming a better, is just by reading more, right? It's like the, if you want to get muscles, you do more push-ups, and it's the same kind of thing. Um, what's your advice for substitute teachers? Prayer, I think, is the uh, most important thing. Um, I substitute taught three days in the same class and I hated it. Now, 
other people that I know have just stayed with it and they've had a lot of success in the classroom. Like they've taught at a school where they like student or substitute taught the whole time they were in college and they made like all this extra, um, these connections with people and ended up getting jobs through it. So I think just remembering that you're not the teacher, that you're there to kind of keep the peace and keep kids on point. Um, and I, t for me, and this might be the wrong answer, I think not taking it too seriously, right? Like don't take everything as like a kid that's trying to come at you or they're acting that way because of you. Like just being like, guys, look, the teacher's out for the day, here's the work, and I'm gonna come around and help you with it as I can. But, uh, th and then setting your expectations for the day. And then that's it. I think just being yourself and then walking around and trying to connect with students, whether it's about the work, whether it's about something else, is gonna build those connections. And the more you sub at that school, the better and better that's gonna get for you. Uh, where are we looking? Uh, Michelle Williams, teacher, is saying, Reynolds, I teach, that's really what it says. Uh, I teach at an all boys, I teach an all boys drama nine class this year, approaching it with character development edge, any book recommendations on toxic masculinity? I would say, so not just books, but there, there's on Netflix, they, uh, there was a movie called the, I think it's called the mask we wear or the mask they wear or something like that. That is all about toxic masculinity. And there's a ton of good conversations that you can have there. Um, there's also, if you go on, so I'm gonna send you down a rabbit hole. I have playlists of all of my videos. There's a, if you go into the Lord of the Flies playlist, there's several videos, a TED talk in there. There's um, a talk about like toxic masculinity in hip hop and it like explores that and talks to different people and stuff like that. So that those are two really good ways that you can kind of go down that. And then I think toxic masculinity shows up all over the place from Of Mice and Men to Lord of the Flies to this, like I said, we're reading Speak this year. Um, it's it's everywhere so you can always take it in that direction like I just think books are are you know people teach a lot of books for very specific reasons I just think you can pull out all kinds of interesting stuff through any book right just like dig a little bit deeper and say hey look do you notice how they said that or why they did this or like the fact that like Curly's wife is never actually given a name and she's just talked about like she's a, like a slut all the time and so um, I just think that you can, maybe that's not the focus of that book, but it's totally like something you could just say, let's stop because sometimes toxic masculinity exists right under, you know, it's not something we, we talk about or it's so normal that it just flies under the radar. So let's just stop and pause, whether it's music or television or books or magazine, as if anyone reads magazines anymore, um, you are like stopping and pausing it even in those normal moments to say, let's see what's going on here. Uh, Rachel27171 says, Shakespeare is not in capital letters going well with my 10th graders. We are acting out no fear and stopping to watch clips and discuss, but a half of my class is not invested. Tips on making it better, um, getting through it faster. So. I'm also, I'm interested in what play you're doing, but we read uh, Merchant of Venice, which a lot of my guys don't want to read. They really like the Antonio Shylock piece because it's two dudes and it's about lending money and cutting people's chests apart and stuff like that. But there's this whole like marriage 
girl part and like no one wants to read for the girls and they're so weird about it because they're like bro i'm not reading it's a girl part so i, I think with that um i read with them i think uh one of the other things is i play music behind certain parts so if it's like romantic i just play the jam from karate kid 2 uh the what is that jam Story of a whatever that song I play music behind all kinds of scenes to make it more dramatic, to make it more um, silly, and then just not taking it so seriously. Like realizing that kids just aren't going to be interested in Shakespeare all the time until you're about halfway or three quarters of the way done. And then sometimes they're just like, all right, this is actually like getting pretty good because we had to like get into it. Um, and then I have uh, a whole lesson that I teach about like, why does Shakespeare speak that way? Because that drives kids crazy. like. Romeo, Romeo, where for all thou Romeo, defy thy not, deny thy father and refuse thy name. Good work, you helped me out there. Um, they, but I talk about, that was 500 years ago, bro. Like if you think of 500 years from now, Snoop is gonna make any sense to anyone. If you think anyone's gonna listen to a Snoop Dogg song and know what the hell shizzle my dizzle means, like I don't even know what the hell that means. I might have said something inappropriate, I don't even know about it. But um, it's, you know, with slang, with, like that kind of like culturally relevant pedagogy, like which is such a big buzzword right now. I think you can make that stuff culturally relevant like crazy because it's still just people and, and life and there's so many connection points to your students' lives through any Shakespeare play that they read. But it's um, teaching them sometimes through the lens of something else to help them explain like, or understand like what is going on in Shakespeare. Yeah, and I made a whole video on like why I teach Shakespeare, why I think it's important and stuff like that. So if you just go through my videos, if you go to the little like magnifying glass at the top, type in Shakespeare, you'll, some stuff will pop up. Uh, Jack, oh crap, Jack. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say that, but Frisicario? All right, Jack, you know how I do it. Um, wondering what your process is with commenting on students' formal papers, how do you balance giving thorough, personalized advice without spending hours on the day before or after school on corrections? I, so I think there's a couple of ways to do that. I think one, um, knowing what you're looking for, right? So like there's very specific things. Kids sometimes write so poorly that you can spend hours nitpicking every single thing, right? And so I just think they're, what you're trying to do is rig them for success. So you read a paper and maybe the first draft, you're really looking for these like five things. And whenever you see those things, I sometimes have just a key at the top so the kids know like double underline means this or one underline means this or brackets means this or um, these two letters mean this. So you're just, you're creating a shorthand so that you're tearing through the paper, you're noting these things and then having the kids um, know what the key is so you can talk about it. And then you're not just hitting, you're not, you know, what you don't want to do is like tell everyone, tell the students that this, these are all the things that you're doing wrong. Cause it's just like, it just destroys people. And it's just so much more difficult to, to kind of like get them to, to want to do better when it's like, Hey, these are the things that you're doing wrong. Like overall, I see where we're going with this and, and I appreciate you doing it. These are the things I need you to work on right now. And then you scale from there. Then the next time it's like, all right, now we're going to look at these sorts of things. And, and I think just scaling like that, just making very simple language that you can write on there really, really benefits students. And then you end up not doing it for the, your whole life. Summer Kate in Japan has three stars. 
Okay. Summer Tate, I'll try, I see that you have like three questions. I'm going to get through them. I have a student who cuts herself in, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, who cuts herself in is self-loathing and is dealing with trauma. I'm meeting with her and the counselor tomorrow to discuss her behavior in class. Any suggestions? Her friends have confused. No. Wait. Read the second one. Her friends have confused. Uh, second one. Her friends have confided in me and I have brought their concerns to the counselor. She's also a fantastic reader, college level, and writer, but will not apply herself. So here's the thing with that, Summer. I've dealt with this any number of times, and and none of them are the same. So like anything I say, so I'm going to try to make my advice as applicable as possible because um, because these stories are all so different. But the fact of the matter is is that there's a story behind that, right? Like students, you know, unless. There's, there are outlier students that are, have some sort of like something going on mentally that like is like they need medication for, or it's not something that you're going to be able to just kind of like talk them out of. They need like professional help. But a lot of times I have met students that have been cutters. Um, it's good that you report it. First of all, you should always do that because if something happens, God forbid, like you will be held liable and maybe, maybe you don't have what like you don't have all the resources. Like there's the council will have resources that they can connect that student with. Um, but I just think that all those, all kids that do anything, whether they are poorly behaved in class, whether they are um, mean to other kids, whether they're bullies, whether they're getting bullied, everybody has a story. And when you find out what their story is, it makes it more understandable, but it doesn't make it okay. Right. It, it almost never makes it OK. Right. But it makes you go. All right. That makes a little bit more sense because you don't know, you know, in a world where like um, the, I forget what the statistic is, but it's like, is it one in four kids are sexually molested at some point in their life? Like that's that's some heavy shit or kids that are one in five are dyslexic and then like just feel dumb and are tired of showing up in school because they're tired of sucking all the time. It's if you can help kids get to that root problem and. If you never, ever, ever give up on them and if you try to meet them where they are without any judgment. So what I mean by that is one of the things I've learned about being married is sometimes your attention is better than your advice. So just sitting with a kid, someone's hurting themselves, someone doesn't like themselves, someone is loathing, let them eat lunch with you like every day if you can, if you can handle that and just give them a safe space to just be them and then you know, just having that safe place to be can literally change people's lives and give them a, a sense of like, that they're not just a, like a waste or they're not just a piece of crap. Like they are, they are someone and someone cares about me and they don't care if I come in and complain about my same problem every single day. They always listen to me. That goes so, so far. And you know, I, I just, I think that's, for me, like the number one thing that you can do. And you're not always like their cheerleader, right? Necessarily like telling them like, oh, you have so much to live for. You can do this. You can do that. You like, you have so much potential. It's like, sometimes it's just saying, I hear you. It really sucks that you feel like that. And I'm really sorry for you. Um, and then another thing I started doing this year with students that I have that are really suffering with depression is I reached out to um, a company called the five minute journal. And they sent me a bunch of free journals. You can just, you don't need the free journals. You can do this other ways too. But I have my guys write like things that they're grateful for today. Cause I really think that the practice of gratefulness 
helps you 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 get so entrenched in the way that you're thinking and how miserable the world is and how miserable you are and how you're a piece of shit and you don't really matter and if you can get kids to start practicing being grateful for things um I think that that can sometimes rewire our thinking and I know that I do that in the morning and it really really is helpful to me so those are the couple of things I'm saying and can you do me a favor can you hit me up and let me know like through email what what works with that and um I don't have to know anyone's personal information, but I just want to know if there's another way, like if you try that and it works, what maybe can I help you with? If it doesn't work, what maybe can I help you with? And if you just feel like you have enough support through the school, then that's fine too. You don't have to hit me up. But if, if you need that resource, I'd be happy to be that for you. Um, Joanne Markov is saying, have you ever done the Romeo and Juliet graphic novel? I've not, I didn't even know it existed. Uh, I've used the Odyssey graphic novel for students that were like reluctant readers. Um, and I love the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, um, but probably because it came out when I was like right out of high school and the soundtrack is the best. Um, what else am I looking at here? Uh, Ashley Zabaska is saying, Reynolds, I want to start a YouTube channel, but I don't know anything about YouTubing. Do you have any tips or suggestions? Ashley, I just did a whole presentation about this, like why all teachers should be on social media because it is the best. Um, I would say... First, just be yourself. Look, your ordinary is somebody else's extraordinary. You do all kinds of stuff in your classroom that is like that someone out there is going to connect with, right? So like most YouTubers are young women, um, but there are a few of us outliers, right? That are like older folks that are doing things. And I just think that I'm not any better or worse than anyone else. Um, but some people might identify with me because I'm a 41 year old dude, right? That teaches in the kind of school that I teach in with the kind of students that I teach. Whereas somebody might watch, you know, Kate, the sleepy teacher and be like, oh, there's a woman. Um, and I don't know if Kate shares her age. She's, I think she's like 57 or something like that. But like, um, she, uh, Kate might have someone that connects with her or Darren or Fernanda or, you know, Bridget from Letter Classroom. Like, that, you know, you can be the, the connection piece for other people so that they know they're not alone and that they can do this also. And I think if you're trying to start a channel um, so you can empower others, there's no wrong way to do that, right? Just put your camera, turn it on, make it look at yourself and edit out all the ums. That's what I do. Uh, Jay Dobbs, I don't know that name too. Further on from at Ashley's question, uh, how do you approach YouTube and getting permission from schools, students, and parents? I have just a real quick letter uh, that I send out to parents every year that says like, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do, and this is why I do it. I'm looking to empower your students and change the narrative of what it looks like to be um, a, a young black male student in West Philadelphia and and help other teachers out along the way. And so like, this is what I'm trying to do. I do monetize my videos because if I don't monetize them, they don't push it. Um, and I'm also trying to, you know, do a whole bunch of other things like <laughs> pay for private school for my son because my public school sucks. So that just, we just had that conversation real quick. Um, that's a whole nother story for, I don't know what time, but, um, so that's, that's all I do It's just send out a thing. And I've never, ever had a parent not sign it. Parents love it because it gives an insight into their child's life that they would never, ever otherwise have. Wait, you didn't ask, do you go to administration? Oh, I did go to admin and just told them like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, is it cool? And 
my so my previous principal that was there when I started it um, had zero problems with it. Like thought it was cool. Um, he doesn't watch my channel or anything. Just saying, <laughs> help me out. Um, lightning lightning storm fights. Uh, I think I know that name. We talked. I think you were on here before. Um, I had a student that wasn't doing their work and drew bloods versus crips on their notebook. I took the paper, but what would you have done with it in that situation? I would say, so first of all, is, are they really like in a gang or are they just writing stuff to like get attention in class? So that's a conversation. Second, it's like, I would pull that kid aside and just have a real conversation and say, what's the story behind this? Like, why are we writing this down? And like, what, what do you, what's your interest in that? And then just, I, you know, sometimes it's just starting, you're not even, you're not always sure what to do until you know the full story. So it's like just about asking kids and talking to them about what it is that why and why they're writing something down and then letting dudes know that like, you know, through that conversation, I would, I would very clearly say like, look, you, we can't, this is school property. Like, like you can't rep your gang in school. Um, cause you're going to get in trouble and I'm going to get in trouble. And I always blame it on my kids. I always tell people, look, man, you can't do stuff like that. Cause I got kids and they got to eat. Do you not want my kids to eat? You want them to starve to death? Cause they're cute. And I paid extra money for that. So like that you're actually costing me more money. So I think sometimes having ridiculous conversations about something and sometimes just like not being shy and having a real conversation with a student and like talking through things is really, really beneficial. Um, cause they get to realize that you're someone that they could trust. What do you got, buddy? Stephanie Henry, my old friend, Stephanie Henry is asking one of my children struggles with reading math and one struggles with social emotional stuff. It seems that children, it seems children of teachers get a bad rap if they struggle just because their mom is a teacher thoughts. Yep. Okay. So my son, um, so reading, so he's dyslexic and he has any number of other like sort of learning differences um, with reading in specifically and I am a reading teacher. But, you know, I just think, I don't know if it's my age or what, but somewhere around 40, I just stopped giving a crap. Like I give like less shits now than ever and you just love your kid, you, you know? So, and I don't, I'm not saying this is school you at all, Stephanie, you know me better than that, but like, um, I would say just focus on your child and the hell with what everybody else thinks. There's zero ability for you to control that. And you can't, I don't have the skills to like give my child what he needs all the time. Right? So like when we talk about like looking for a private school for our son, which my school will not fund, they will not give me what I need in my school. They will not give us the help that we need. So we are, and we can't even sue in New and, Jersey. And we can't so sue in New Jersey because it's, it's too difficult. And I'm not like, I'm not even the kind of guy that sues for anything, but I need my child to get what he needs. And so part of that is like Wilson tutoring. And that takes like four years to go through that whole program. And I don't have four years. Like we're, we're this, this time bomb's ticking. And so my job now is to try and figure out a way to hustle and get my son into a private school that's gonna cost a ridiculous amount of money, but if that's what my kid needs, then that's what I'm gonna do. And I just can't worry about what anybody else is thinking or feeling about my situation, because I'm trying to buckle down and get my kid through life in the best possible way that I can do it. I will also say this, I think Oh, it's oh, are you, now you speak up. No, I'm not going on. Because you love this topic. Um, I do, because I'm just kidding. it's really difficult being, having a child that struggles and having the 
a parent as that's a teacher, right? You think that we're going to be perfect. I don't do homework a lot of times. I modify homework. I do what I think is necessary. Part of that is, I think, because you are a teacher and I'm just going, man, this is just not, I'm just not going to do it or not necessary. I think yeah. you have to do what's best for your kid and you know your kid best. Like, that's it. That's the bottom line. That was some good not-so-secret advice over there. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I feel like some of these questions sorry, we could have like, a, just, like we could have an hour-long conversation about. But mm. want me to do a sing a song? Why don't yeah, because yeah, this is called Camper and I believe the children are our future. Stop. Oh. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Come on, what's the next line? I'm being on reading. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Come on, baby. This is getting ridiculous. I know. Well, Kate's like chatting it up. That's what you said. Oh, happens. Kate, the sleepy teacher's in there yeah. chatting it up. All right. What's up, Kate? All right, here you go. I think that's one. Um, which one is? This top one? Yeah. Uh, em Empress of the Cosmos. Holy crap. Now that's a name. Good work. <laughs> Empress of the Cosmos is saying, hey, Mr. Reynolds, I teach ninth grade U.S. history. I normally introduce new material with the PowerPoint and discussion. Any ideas on how to intro new material that will keep students engaged? I think, so one, I always say, like, I think making relevant content to your students, like connecting it to something that they already know is great. Connecting it to their life. So, like, I do journals every day to connect what we're going to read to something that they've already gone through or something they're going to go through um, to make it relevant. I think sometimes just having a conversation, like, hey, do you guys ever think about this? Do you ever wonder about this? Or like why, you know, the government does this or why, uh, you know, wh whatever it is. And, you know, I, I love shows like that. Some, sometimes like, look, history documentaries can be super boring. And then, and even... There's history documentaries that like history people like, like, I don't know, Ken Burns or like you'd watch like 17 hours based on like the Vietnam War or something like that. And then you get down with that. But then there's a reason they make shows like Drunk History. Because it's shit, that shit is funny, man. Like you, you, it's like kind of the same story in a, in a sense, but it's just way out of pocket. And so I think sometimes just trying to like, make something fun or magical or interesting in some kind of weird way could be a really good hook for, for kids. Everyone ducks, but they don't really duck all, they don't like fully commit to the duck. Um, so I just think that that's a really fun way to kind of do that or, you know, pull in some kind of popular culture about it. Like how does it, what you're learning connect to popular culture now and, and then that's your in for a lot of stuff. One, Betancourt? I like how I, much time I spend trying to figure out people's names. But Juan, I apologize. I can't. It's, I can never pronounce anyone's name. Um, what do you think about eliminating phones during school hours? So Juan, my, I teach ninth grade and I have a whole thing I do on phones. So one, over on the other side of my room, I got, I went to this place called Harbor Freight in Jersey, which is like, uh, it's essentially like they make, um, like the stuff, same stuff that Home Depot does, but like the way cheaper version. And so I get this long, like four foot strip of plugs for like $8 there or something like that. I plug it in my wall and you can charge your phone over there. I'm not responsible for keeping an eye on it or anything like that, but if you plug it in, you're not allowed to touch it. 
it has to just stay over there. That's just an agreement that we have. And there are no repercussions if you go over there because guess what? You're not going to do it because that's what I told you to do. Um, and so then I tell kids like, look, if I see your phone out, I'm going to take it. But every once in a while, like if someone's phone goes off in the middle of class or it rings or it dings or they get a tweet or whatever it is, I just go, Yo, do me a favor, just turn it off. And it's not a big deal. I just like to make things like not into a big deal a lot of times because it just, it just helps because kids are used to someone like coming down on them about stuff. And if you can just be cool about it, like, bro, just like, just turn it off real quick. I think also when kids have phones in class and they are doing stuff like, uh, if they're checking it on the low, now it depends on the kid. If I've told you before, every once in a while, I'll just be like, put it away. If I see it again, I'm going to, something disastrous is going to happen. Um, and, but if I've seen it again, it's like, I need the phone. And then I count down three, two, one. If you don't give it to me, I just, I have, I like write it up. I get someone else to, I pull somebody bigger than me, like Miss Cho in and they, she comes in and she handles the situation. Um, but that almost never happens. And then there's a couple of things. If it's the first time I took it, I'll just put it in my desk for the period and give it to you at the end. Or maybe I'll hold on to it till lunch and then I'll give it to you then. Or at the end of the period, I hide it in my bookshelves and then you have to stand in the hallway while I do so. The class can tell you hot or cold. And if you find your phone at the end of 30 seconds, then you get it back. If you don't get it back in 30 seconds, then I keep it till the end of the day. But that is... The, the risk that you run when, when you do stuff like that in class. So I think just making it not a big deal and just kind of handling it and letting kids know, like this is why you can't be on your phone right now because you're addicted. And I know that because I'm addicted to my phone. Um, and that's just how I run that. So Amy Russell is saying, how do you overcome setbacks despite being exhausted? Uh, oh, Amy Russell, that's a great question. How are you Amy Russell? I feel like I haven't seen your name on there in a while. Um, I think that self-care so like I, so let, let me run it down for you like this I was going to San Diego for some insane reason I and if you go on my Instagram you can see this the wife and I decided only a few days before going to San Diego that I would we were going to make what 20 20, yeah. 20 TVs out of cardboard then we were going to put letters in them that were built out then we were going to do social media signs on them and all this crazy stuff. Then I have to get all, I, then I teach two days. I leave immediately for the airport. I fly to San Diego. I get there in the middle of the night. I got to get up before the sun to go to this place and set up all this stuff and get all this, this stuff ready. And by the middle of that day, I thought I was getting sick because I was just running on empty. And I already knew whenever that happens that I need to stop and just do something for myself. And maybe that's several days of something for myself. And to me, that's not just sitting down. It's like running, swimming, riding a bike, doing some sort of exercise, like uh, meditating, praying more. Um, and, and so like what I'm doing is like filling up the tank so that I have something to give when I get there. Just barreling through it, just doing the work to me never works. It is an illusion that I think is going to work. But in reality, I have to like take the night off go out to dinner with my wife, um, just watch Jeopardy and have a beer or like whatever it is, I'm not like running myself rampant. Uh, I'm, I have to fill that tank back up um, or it's, it's no one's gonna do it for me. Not even you, wife. Mm -hmm. 
Even though you're pretty good. <laughs> uh, Go Ministry is saying, who inspires you? That's a good question. Um, I would say, dude, this is like, these are such, like my, I don't know how different my answers are than everyone else. Um, I'm a Jesus-y guy, so like there's that. Uh, like I am, I don't talk about that a lot on my channel. Um, but I think, you know, sort of like Mr. Rogers, who's another, like one of my greatest inspirations of all time, like, um, and St. Francis, who I have a big picture of on my wall over there, said like, preach always and when necessary, use words. So I try and like, like I try to like convey my faith through my, my actions, right? And I, instead of like having to talk about them. And the reason for that is I think it alienates people sometimes. I'm not afraid to talk about it and I don't shy away from it. But I just think that like loving people, um, I think your vibe attracts your tribe. And so uh, that's how I do that. I think Father Gregory Boyle is like one of the greatest human beings that ever existed. And he has a great book called Tattoos on the Heart that I read whenever I'm having a bad day. And it literally, if I'm having a shit day and I read it at lunch, I am a better teacher in the afternoon. Rafe Esquith is the greatest teacher I think of all time. He is fantastic and all of his books inspire me. Um, and then I'd say uh, my wife and my kids really, and that seems like such a basic answer, but you know, I put, my wife and I have been together. Are you putting your hand up? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. My wife and I have been together for 23 years and we are like, this is like a hard one relationship. This shit didn't just like start out easy or end easy. It's not easy. What are you saying? I'm not easy. I'm saying I'm not easy. That's um, the truth. <laughs> but like the camaraderie that we have and the love that we have for one another is like, it's like scar tissue at this point. Like we've fought for it and my wife inspires me to be better. And I'm also at a place where like, when she gives me advice, typically she's right because she knows me a lot of times better than I know myself. And I think the same is true vice versa. And my kids just make me want to be a better person. My own children, like I want, I want uh, all this great stuff to kind of happen because I am, I, I want what's, I want the best life I can give my kids. Um, especially because my son doesn't have the easiest he, he's dealing with stuff that's harder than a lot of other kids. And so I want to make it the best possible experience for him. So I will work my ass off every day for my kids. Um, could you share a list of YouTube teachers? Um, I can. I, don't, but I think the best way is to just search on YouTube. Like yeah. So I waters. think real quick, like, but my top, like the people that we kind of came up with were like oh. Pocketful Primary and Letter Classroom and Darren and Kate the Sleepy Teacher um and i think apples and genuine apples then tiaras and genuine teaching and these are all people i know also um one fab teacher is like one of my favorite human beings that exists online she's so lovely and then on instagram i think you know instagram is even can be equal as equally as impressive sometimes uh and there's tons of really fun great people over there as well like peace love parker is the jam uh, Tuca for middle schools in both those places. She's fantastic. Uh, who's my other homie that I like? Chris Peck, the hipster teacher. That guy is fire all the um, time. Peace with Parker. I said that already. Oh. Are you not paying attention to anything that I'm saying? Uh, I'm reading questions. Oh, you're doing a good job hey, too. Rebecca I appreciate Waltz. you. I know. Rebecca Waltz is asking, what's up, Rebecca? I think, what? 
I don't know if I emailed you recently. Something. Your picture is sticking out in my head for some reason. Because um, I know I've seen you on here before also. But Rebecca is saying, I signed up to be a homebound teacher with one of my students this week who has a lot of anxiety. I will be taking uh, his work to him and find uh, and helping him with his assignments. Any tips? I think, um, you know, I, first of all, Rebecca, that is awesome. And I love that. I would... Yeah the, yeah, the fact that their school even allows that is like remarkable. So I would go in and be regular. Like not being like, so, I, so when I think of like after my mother passed away, everybody that came to visit was like, how are you? Are you, are you eating? Are you sleeping? How's it going? And it was like, God, like you're, you don't want to be a special case. I liked when people just came in and they were like, how's it going? All right. And then what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you interested in? Like talking about regular stuff. That's what I think suppresses the anxiety or alleviates it a lot of times. Not someone like just being, no one wants to be a special case and people that do, that's a whole nother issue. They do exist, but like, um, just regular stuff like, hey man, I'm really actually glad that I get to do this. Like I'm honored that you would let me come to your house and like that I get to be the person um, that gets to see you one-on-one -on -one. cause I don't get to see you one-on-one -on -one in school all the time. So this is actually like pretty dope. I get to like see where you live and stuff like that. Like, um, and then maybe like, I, I would, I, I'm a treat guy. So like maybe like, hey, what do you like? Like what's your favorite snack in the world? And then maybe like bring a snack and like, you know, so it's not like this, uh, so like, formulaic of an idea like you're just kind of like hanging out and talking and like doing work together and eating snacks like I would just make it like that because I think that's the kind of vibe to me that would like help alleviate that anxiety because that kid's got to feel some type of way that a teacher has to come to their house and help them out and it's like you just don't want to be a special case what do you got for me wife there's lots of talking in your comment section, which is great. I love the talking in my comment section. So keep doing it. So if we can't find questions, that's no, cool. I, you, I love when everyone's helping each other out. It is the best. Uh, Kenneth G. Henderson is saying, what do you think about drugs being in schools? Um, been going around in your area recently, I've heard. So, uh, you know, I think I, if that was to me, um, gosh, it's just like guns in schools right it's like there's there's a reason for it right someone did it for a reason right like some kid brought weed or crack or whatever they're bringing to school for a reason and <clears throat> instead of just damning kids right like look it should not be in school it is dangerous even kids that i've had in the past i had this dude who was one of my favorite dudes of all time used to make cupcakes at home and bring them into school in a giant duffel bag and sell them in the bathroom but the problem was Everybody knew he was walking home with hundreds of dollars every day and it just didn't make it safe. And now that's not the reason, that's not the only reason I wouldn't want someone selling drugs in schools because they're walking home with a lot of money and I'm concerned for their well-being because drugs shouldn't be in school. But there's a reason those kids are doing that, right? They're not just doing it to be cool or hip probably. They probably need it. They probably have zero food at home. They probably like are trying to help their mom pay rent. And so I think trying to get to the bottom of some of those situations sometimes is a lot it's a more useful, uh, a better use of your time than just like 
vilifying kids or damning them for the things that they do. It's always better to find out someone's story and meet them where they are and then bring them up to where they want to be instead of just crushing them and like shipping them off to jail. Amy Russell is saying, first year teacher and coach of an academic club that goes to tour, tourneys? Is that a tournament? Um, I am deflated from pressures to perform at the level of the previous year's coach and I don't want to grade or plan for the week. Um, geez, you know, is there a way, so first of all, don't be where that other teacher was. Like you're not that other teacher. Maybe they need to have somebody else take that over. Like, you know, I think first year teachers should just first year teach. They should not be doing anything else. Um, unless you like are super passionate about football and it comes second hand to you, but you should not be like running a club or doing a sport or coaching something that is extra work because just learning how to be a first year teacher is hard enough. That's like if you were a first year parent, like you just had a baby and you're like, I'm going to go get my master's also. It's like, no, one of these things is hard enough for me to do. I will just stick with that. So maybe have a conversation with someone. Look, it doesn't make you any less of a candidate to be a teacher at that school, right? So like teachers, especially first year teachers wanna take new jobs, they wanna do all this great stuff and they don't wanna look like they can't handle it, but is it worth handling? Like if you're less of a teacher for it and your students are suffering for it, just let them know like, look, this isn't a good fit. Like I can ride out this season or whatever, but like, um, I want to be the best classroom teacher I can. I just feel like this is like, I'm spinning too many plates and I'm just like, it's not, um, you know, it's not what's best for the students. You always make it about the students, excuse me, and not yourself. Um, I think people are far more likely to listen to what your, your situation is. Uh, since Schmidt is saying, hi, I was wondering if you have a master's degree and if so, do you work on it before I actually started teaching or while you were teaching? I don't. Um, I, I would suggest doing it before you teach, uh, just because first year teaching is so difficult. I'm a community college graduate. And then, uh, I went to a four year school in New Jersey that no one ever heard of unless you live in New Jersey called Rowan university, which actually was a great place. And community college was a great place, but I didn't start teaching till I was 27. And then I had my son when we were, th I was 30. Um, and so there's just hasn't been time for it. And now I do YouTube, which is like getting a master's degree from all these other wonderful people on here. What do you got for me, dude? J me B. I think that's how it says your icons, just a giant J, um, says how have you ever had doubts about your ability to be a quote unquote good teacher and how do you get through it? Hell yeah, all the time, right? Sometimes I can't even believe that they let me in the classroom. I feel like a fraud and I feel like Every year, someone's gonna figure this out. They're gonna realize I have zero idea what I'm really doing, because um, there's because there's so many kids I feel like that fall through the cracks, or that like if I had just had more time, or if I just had more ability, or if I just had more resources, like I could really, really, really this kid, but I don't. And um, Brody is ready to come home. I'll bring him. Nate said. Uh, so they, it's you know I feel like that all the time, um, and. I don't always know how I get over that. You just keep going because the students need you to show up. They need you to be consistent. Um, so just keep going. And here's what I would do. I would, I would think about, 
here, here's what you should do. Most of the teachers in your school, right? Unless they're complete narcissists, uh, do not know that they're doing a good job. I, on several occasions, I started doing this with my friend, Miss Yonkers, and then another friend of mine, Miss Maloney, started doing this for teachers. Well, every once in a while, take 10 minutes in class. Everyone gets a note card or like a simple greeting card. And then they just write a note to a teacher that they liked, that did something for them, right? That they um, did like, you know, Miss so-and-so always helps me out with my homework and she's always willing to stay late if I need help. Or like Mr. So-and-so eats lunch with me every day and I like when he brings in cookies. Or this person's really funny. Or this person's really caring. Or this person is like really hard and strict, but they're like no bullshit and they made me a better student. If you spend your time trying to fill other people up, it will make you feel like you just, it gets rid of some of that stuff. And you are knowing that like, the fact that you're feeling that is a, it is a sign that every, everyone else is feeling that too. So just saying nice things to other people is a really great move. So that's what I would do tomorrow. Or if you have school, not until Tuesday, like have your students like take literally 10 minutes. You're going to make your, here's our idea. We're going to make someone's day. I want you to write a teacher down. I want you to write in something nice that they did about you. And then I'm going to put those in their mailboxes. And I'm telling you, you will, you will win at life if you do that. Oh, sorry. Oh, are you just reading stuff now? <laughs> you're just in, you're just like in the cut, like reading comments. No, I'm not. I have to like, sometimes I have to piece this stuff together. It's I know. a little hard. You're doing um, a great job. I appreciate you. Okay. Hold on. Uh, maybe we should have a commercial. <laughs> a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Tonight's live feed brought to you by, I don't know. Oh, here, just read that one, because that's nice. Oh. Piano Boy uh, saying, hey, Reynolds, you gave me advice last week on improving my student teaching experience. I used your advice and noticed a drastic positive change. Thank you. Yay. You just made me read nice words out loud. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, man. I really, really appreciate that. I'm like glad that that worked out for you. Uh, Lightning Storm Fights says, I have a student that's always late. Any suggestions? Take points off of his grade every single time he walks into your classroom late and they are not recoverable, right? So like um, I give, I'm putting this video out this week where about my point system for the week for participation. And my plan is I get four points a day, 20 points a week. If you are late to class, you lose a point off the top and so and they're not recoverable and you'll see kids like they just like the word points everyone wants their students to be like intrinsically motivated but the reality of the matter is that they're extrinsically motivated like the most like the rest of us and so um letting saying that name point like hey you're late again man just so you know you're like you're losing points every day when you do that and then i would just make a note of it and then at the end of the week in power school anyway which is our online uh grade book system you can put notes under grade. So I would say this was their grade for the week for points and lost this many points because he was late this many times this week. That's it. Uh, Juan is saying, have you ever had a Fortnite dance battle in class? Just saying. So I have not won, but you have just literally inspired me to do so because Your everyone son will have a fit. My son's if you head will explode. In this. Babe. Because he wants us to have a I, no, I am under no illusion. My people, the Reynolds, are, have like two dances. We have like the white guy dance where you like hold a lady's hips and she puts her hands up here like you're in eighth grade and you move back and forth. And this dance. 
That's it. That's all we got. <laughs> That's not. That is literally, unless there's a copious amounts of alcohol involved, those are the two dances. And with alcohol, they just become sloppy versions of those dances. Um, but no, that sounds like an awesome idea because last year at graduation, everybody Fortnite danced across the stage. So it was remarkable. Good work, Juan. I'm going to dedicate that one to you. Anything else? I don't, I don't know if this is a question or not. Which one? This one. Kate, the other yeah, one? I'll do Proverbs? Mm -hmm. uh, Proverbs 31 is saying, I'm student teaching and I'm, <laughs> I'm pooping rocks. Pooping? Pooping rocks. On doing a lesson plan. Uh, look, here's the thing. Don't poop rocks. This is what because it's gonna hurt and you're gonna get have to go to the doctor. Um, I think. Look, do not recreate the wheel. There are lesson plans already available for whatever it is you're teaching, and it's not about the lesson plan. It's how you're implementing the lesson plan. Like you could give the same lesson plan to ten different people, and it is not gonna look the same in their class. Like you. It's just, it's just not. I have friends that I've like shared lesson plans with in the in the past, or there's like times when we have like several different English teachers for the ninth grade, and I know that all of our classes look different. We're all implementing that in some different way. Make the lesson plans simple, right? Where you're not like making them crazy is just a waste of your time. Make them simple, make them to the point, make them relevant, and make them measurable goals. Like today, we will be able to do this, 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 and this. That's it, and then just make it fun. Then your personality, your engagement, the silly little things you do before, during, and after class are gonna be what makes your class engaging the most, and not just that. Um, what's up, bro? What's up? Eagles are losing bad. Eagles are losing bad, bro. He's whispering to my wife. Um, so that's what I would do. So don't sweat it, just look for other stuff, and then you can tweak those lesson plans you find online, but don't recreate the wheel. It's, it's just not worth it. Uh, that oh, one. that's she was saying, I guess, what she's nervous about. Oh, and then she was saying to Kate, the sleepy teacher, integrating my ideas appropriately and staying on standards. By the way, do teachers have a creative license with standards and objectives? Uh, you can, I think you can tweak anything. Like, look, I've had so much crazy stuff in my classroom that I've made into, like, I've had like DJs come in and street artists come in and other schools come in and partner with us. And there's always a way to kind of like figure Wait, it out. Are you online? Yeah, some dude just suggested, this guy Juan just said, I should have a Fortnite dancing competition in my class. That's what I've been telling you to do that. You have? Yes. Are you, is your name Juan? Were you the, him on here? Do I look like him? You do, you do have a mustache coming in. You don't have to tell everything. I love you. Uh, talking about God in schools, your thoughts. Uh, I stay away from it. It's like, it's too tricky of a topic. And it's not the, like, unless you're, it's like a lesson. So like when we talked about, when we read Persepolis, we had to talk about like the Muslim religion and like um, how it related to the book. But overall, it's just like not, it's like, you're going to at some point have some kind of run in with someone. So I just, you know. Again, like if that's your jam, I don't know why you would do that, but if it's your jam, like if God is your jam, then let that come out through who you are and through your actions and not so much your words. Mm. I don't know how long, I don't know what time we started. Um, we're at 80 
minutes. Um, Proverbs is asking, any ideas for teaching on standards with special education students who are extremely below grade level? Uh, I think you can scale down lessons for those students. So you just take away, like if you have everybody else doing 20 questions or 10 questions, give them like less questions. And then you are gonna just continue to pivot, right? Like maybe you give them five and they get them done real fast. Maybe you give them five and they get them done real fast, but they don't have very thoughted, thoughtful answers or they're not written in complete sentences or they're not complete thoughts. And then sitting with them and going, look, I, let's stick with five, but like this, let's go through this and I'm gonna explain to you like what a full thought would look like or what an answer would look like. And then we're gonna work through that together. Um, and so I think it's about doing the same work, but then just like, trying to figure that out. There's websites out there that you can use to use like different Lexile levels. So it'll be like, um, what the hell is that new system? What's that program we're using in school? Remember we went and had beers with those people in Chicago? Oh. Circa? Yes. If you, I think I it's called Circa, C-I-R-C-A. And they will have like an article on, I don't know, like the, 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 million man march or something like that right or like uh i have a dream speech or something like that um and they can change the lexile level based on your students so that all students are getting like a like something that's like appropriate so to new, their level like newzella like newzella something like that like where you can um change, change that kind of stuff up and it, and it makes it better for your students and look talk to other teachers that are teaching this stuff too don't be afraid to ask questions right so like maybe like someone in the comment section if you can connect with proverbs and say like um hey what are you teaching or this is what how i teach it like let's share those resources and you know maybe you can find someone that's going to connect with you and can be able to like walk you through that specifically anything else um just a couple more okay a couple more and then and we're gonna get out of here because i want to watch the end of the eagles game with brody uh you never talk about your textbooks what textbooks you use in class i don't use textbooks in class we have textbooks. We have like the McGraw, like big fat orange textbooks and they're fine. Um, I'm not against them. I just don't have enough for all of my students. They're too big to carry around. So we just read novels instead. I know some people are like adamantly against textbooks, but ours are actually like pretty well written. They have thoughtful questions and thoughtful and like follow questions and connect like videos you can connect with them and stuff. So I think they're cool, but it's just like, I'd rather read longer text because it's stuff in the literary canon that I think my students are expected to know when they get to college. Like they should have read all these books we're reading are things that they should have read in high school because they're, they're always referenced back to. Um, well, what do you got for me? Nellie Caroline is asking, when do you realize, when did you realize that building relationships with students was important? Um, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I've never been asked that before. I think, I don't know that I ever realized it was a, I don't, so I would say this. I would say at first I was extremely nervous about it because I didn't want kids to think that I was their friend and not their teacher or their mentor. And so it is, it's a tricky thing. But then when you do realize that like, I'm not your friend and I don't mean that in the worst, in a bad way at all, because that's like here for me. What I want is this. I want mentorship. I want connection. I want to be able to push you like a like a like a coach would, and not like 
you know, your friends don't always push you enough, but it, as if you're like a bit of an authority figure or someone that like is coming from a world of you're in the know, then you can help kids more deeply. And I think that was just innately what I wanted. I've always connected with young people. Even when I was younger, um, I've told this story before, but like when I was even my son's age and my son knows this is about himself now, it was like at 10 and 11, little kids at family parties or at the park would just come up and start talking to me and telling me things. And then as I got older, it happened more and more. And in my 20s, that was odd because it felt weird to be like a 20 year old with like a mohawk and like little kids are talking to you at the park or at a party or telling you things that you're like, I don't know why you're telling me this. I just think it's for me is kind of is my gift. Um, but as a teacher, it, is, that gives me the space to actually use that gift. Um, in full all the time. And so I have kids all the time come into my classroom and tell me the craziest shit that I never ever would dream someone would even talk to me about. Um, and it's just my total honor to be able to have those conversations. So I think it was just something that was innately in me, but I, for, I had to start figuring that out my first year because it was just happening. It was like kids coming in and saying, I want to tell you this thing that I've never talked to anyone about and I have to get off my chest. And it's like, all right. And, and, my girlfriend cheated on me and I don't know what to do. Like all that kind of stuff just showed up. All right, last question is, um, and look, if I didn't get to your question, you can email me. I, I am trying to get through these emails. I am doing so many emails a day. It is just difficult to get through them, but you can email me um, or, or, and I will I get back to every single person. Um, but Donna Mathis is asking, is there, it seems there is always help, extra help or attention to the very low students and the very high students. I was always a middle of the road. How do you help those kids who are the majority? Donna, that is a great question because my man, Rafe Esquith, I've talked about this before, talks about three kinds of kids. Number one kid is the kid that everybody wants to teach. They do a great job all the time and they make it a pleasure to be at school. Number three kid is crying for help all the time and wants all your attention by acting out, right? And that kid should get attention. Um, but no more than number two student who flies under the radar, the kid that no one knows his name, the kid that nobody knows that they exist in the school, the kid that ends up with a 70 or a 69 at the end of the year because you didn't give them enough attention because they sat there quietly and behaved correctly. I think it is making an intentional effort to give no student more attention than another one. That if I'm working with a number two student and a number three student, it's like, Reynolds, I gotta go to the bathroom. Mr. Reynolds, Mr. Reynolds, Mr. Reynolds, Mr. Reynolds. Just gonna, no child, you don't get my attention right now. I'll be there in a moment. I need you to just cross your legs and or, or hold your breath or whatever you gotta do. I'm just working with this kid right now. And then that's how you get down with those kids. You just, and I think making connections outside of the classroom, being visible in the hallway, talking to them at their locker, saying hello to them when they come in. Or a lot of times I will walk around the classroom and I'll put post-it notes or cards on people's desks, right? Of all the number two students. And then I'll say, hey, if anyone got a card at the end of the class or during class, um, I need you to come speak to me real quick on the side of the classroom. I'll have you out of here in just 30 seconds. I need to have a real quick word with you and you're not in trouble. Then when those kids come over, I, I will often tell them like, look, I, I just want you to know that I notice you and that you're in my class and I could not be happier. But that, to be honest, it's hard to get around to everyone all the time and you guys are just doing such a great job already and I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that you're seen and I want you to know that I appreciate you deeply and if you ever need anything, please 
make the noise possible or just give me a nod or, or a word so that I can come and help you. And that is, that goes really far, I think, to let the, the invisible kids know that they're visible. And so that's where we're gonna end it. Um, look, if you have any questions, like I said, email me. Um, and anything else? <laughs>